Welcome everyone, welcome, welcome to people that have gone away and come back again like Justin and welcome to William, his first, first time here this morning I think, so where is he? Yeah, there he is over there, <laughs> fantastic, so good to, uh... <laughs> well okay man, yeah, <laughs> thank you Lord, it's good to have you here today with us and uh, I, I just really pray that for every person, whether it's your first time here or whether you've been coming here for years and years and years, that we would have an awareness of what God is saying to us today. Because God loves you. He loves, he loves you. He knows your situation. He knows your life. Um, I was just thinking before, of a, we watched a, a movie last night. We had a bit of a family movie night over, over dinner. And uh, we watched a movie called The Lorax. And uh, if anyone's seen The Lorax, yeah, they, they get rid of all the trees. And they have plastic trees. So then they have to buy air because the air is no longer good. And uh, I was just thinking, I hadn't thought about it at all, but um, I'm a person who likes order and, and I remember as a kid liking to have things set up a certain way and, and sometimes mum would try and join in with my games and I'd be like, no mum, you're playing it the wrong way. It's like things had to happen in the right way and I had to have order and structure and... I'm revealing a bit of my, about myself here, but in, in the movie they get rid of all the, the trees because they're messy. They, they have leaves that fall to the ground and they're messy. But it's those trees that are messy that through um, photosynth- photosynthesis, that word, they create the air that we breathe. And even through the mess, even through the, the craziness of our life, God is able to sustain us. We don't need to be free from the mess to find life. But God is with us in the mess. He wants to sustain us through the mess. He wants to sustain us through the, the challenges and the busyness and the, the things that happen. Um, I'm just so aware this week for it's just different things that have been happening in my life. I'm sure there's other people here today that you, without God, how could I do what I do? I, I, I couldn't do what I do without God. And I'm sure there's many here today that would say the same thing. And I just really pray today that you would be encouraged that God knows you and He wants to help you. He is helping you. God's an amazing God. Um, anyway, I didn't plan to say any of that, but uh, this morning we're going to begin a new series. Uh, and this series is about one of the most exciting, the most amazing, the most influential times in the world history. It is one of the most defining moments of human history on this planet. I don't think it's... It's one of the most pivotal moments in world history. If you look at the history of the world, there is no other event that has changed the world as much as this one, I'd dare to even say. If you look at history from a secular perspective, you can see that from this point, something changed. This morning we're going to begin our series looking at the book of Acts. And there we are. I'll turn my thingy on. There we go. The book of Acts. There we are. It's when the, the, the church has begun. Jesus has, has died on the cross for our sin. He's risen. And then he ascends to the Father. And, and the church begins. The church starts. Now many people thought from those 12 disciples or 11 disciples, once Judas is gone... It's just going to die out. They, some of the people, they're saying, what are we going to do with these disciples? And some people say, oh, forget about them. There's nothing going to, there's nothing going to come of this. There's only a few people and their leader's gone. 
What's, what's possibly going to happen from these 11 unschooled, unorthodox, un, unwise nobodies? What could possibly happen that is worth even thinking about, worrying about, doing anything about? Let's just let them go and that'll be the end of it. And yet 2,000 years later, the world is a different place from that moment. That after that, that next 200 years after Jesus ascended, after he sent the Holy Spirit and those disciples were empowered, the world around them was changed. The whole Roman Empire, the world as they knew it, had been affected by the gospel. The gospel was going out to Asia, it's going into all parts of Europe, it's going into Africa, and the message is spreading. The world is being changed by these nobodies, these people that were uneducated and maybe not popular, they weren't uh, anything special in anyone's eyes, and yet God began to change the world forever through these people. If you're new here, and we just got our results back from our survey we did last year, if anyone remembers this little survey thing we did last year, we do every five years, 35% of you here today weren't here five years ago. Did you know that? I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. 35% roughly weren't here five years ago. So if you were one of those people that wasn't here five years ago, welcome. <laughs> and welcome anyway if you were. But, um, and, and did you know 10% of us actually didn't go to church five years ago? I reckon that's pretty cool. 10% of us, praise God, new people coming in, hearing about God, His love for us. Welcome. It's good to have you here with us. But through this series, it's not just going to be a history lesson. It's not just going to be a, 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 a series about what happened then and just looking at the historical facts and figures and what happened throughout that time. I believe as we look at this book of Acts that we're going to learn about what God is like. We're going to be empowered with boldness, that God's going to give us an insight to His direction for our lives, that God's going to help us see the life that He's called us to live, that He planned for us long ago. And as we look at this series, as we look at the book of Acts in the Bible, that we might actually, our whole lives, every day of our lives might be affected by the message of the book of Acts. Not only our lives on this earth, but when we die, our eternity can be affected and determined by the things that we hear as we look through this book of Acts. I'm excited about this series on the book of Acts. It's been in the planning for over two years. And I'm like, finally we get to begin. And Satan tries to do all things to try and distract the preparation and things, but it's going to be good. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> so, the book of Acts. The book of Acts is lit written by... Was it Acts? No. <laughs> the book of Acts was written by Dr. Luke. He's known as a physician, as you read through the New Testament. It's written by Luke. It's written around 63 AD. It's written... It doesn't have any reference to Paul being martyred, and that happened around 67 AD. It doesn't have any reference to Peter being martyred around somewhere between 64 and 68 AD. It doesn't have any reference to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. It doesn't talk about the burning of Rome. So it's pretty accurate that we know it was around 63 AD. But as we look through the book of Acts, we realise it's not just a historical record. Some people think it's just a historical record of what happened, and they miss so much of the truths that God brings out in the book of Acts. They ignore that the, what we can learn about God and what we can learn about our relationship to Him. It's, we can learn theology through the book of Acts, what it teaches us about God, what, he, 
what it teaches us about humanity and our relationship with God. But some of the things we need to be aware of when we're interpreting Scripture, there's some, some rules to apply when we, when we read God's Word, and that's always look for the testimony of two or three things. Never go to one verse and say, I'm going to build a, a, a doctrine, I'm going to build a, 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 an argument around this verse, because this verse says this, so I'm claiming that one verse, and I'm forgetting about all those other ones that say different things. There's always a, a testimony or two, of two or three witnesses. It talks about within um, judgments within Israel, and, and it's, it's true for God's Word too, that there's no contradictions in God's Word. If you find one passage and you think, oh, that's amazing, or that's, that's terrible, but it doesn't line up with others, then you've misinterpreted what God's saying. Understand the genre. Is it a historical book? Is it poetry? Is it... Um, is it um, a letter, whatever sort of genre it might be? Understand what it is and how that affects what you're reading. Is it a descriptive passage or is it prescriptive? So we, as we read through the book of Acts, we see things like when uh, Philip's walking along the road and he talks to the, the Ethiopian eunuch and he says, right, I want to be baptised. So they stop the chariot, they go off to the side of the road and he's baptised in what I kind of think about as like a big puddle beside the road. And so it's a descriptive passage about what happened in the book of Acts. But does that mean we should all go and be baptised by the side of the road in a puddle? No, because it's not prescriptive, it's descriptive of what happened. Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and says, you're all asking what should we do? He says, repent, believe and be baptised for the forgiveness of your sins. That's a prescriptive passage. He's not describing what's happened. He's saying this is what you should do, not just what happened and what did happen. Now, I'm getting hot in here. Is that just because I'm starting to speak or is it getting really hot in here? Pretty warm. I think, I think we could just maybe drop it to degree. We put it up a couple, so I don't want you to fall asleep. I don't want to fall asleep either. <laughs> Luke begins by addressing Theophilus. He says, in my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach. Theophilus is one of Luke's mates. He's a, a, a wealthy Roman officer, most likely. And he's a guy that has influence and, and probably the, the means to help spread the message of Luke's letter. Luke writes it to Theophilus, and it's for Theophilus to encourage him, but it's also for, for Theophilus to spread to tell others about what he's, what he's writing. He says, in, in my first book, I told you everything about what Jesus was doing and teaching. And I think we need to understand the context of how Luke writes. So if we look at his first book, which is Luke, good, it's not called Theophilus. He says, many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used their eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples having carefully investigated everything from the, from the beginning i also have decided to write an account an accurate account for you most honorable theophilus so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught i think luke was kind of like or maybe lee strobel is like a modern day luke he set out to investigate the, the, the truths of what had actually happened, to say, did this really happen? Is this accurate? I don't know if uh, Luke had the same anger about it in the beginning as, uh, as Lee Strobel, but 
He investigates the truth, and then when he finds out, yes, this is true, this is accurate, he wants to pass it on, he wants to tell somebody about what Jesus has done. I think when we discover what Jesus has done, we, there's, a, there's something within us that wants to tell people what Jesus has done. I met with a guy just this week who I haven't seen for about 15 years, and, and we're talking about all sorts of different things, and he, he, he did come here at one stage through youth, and the whole time I'm going, you've got to ask him, Andrew, you've got to ask him, Andrew, you've got to ask him, Andrew. I'm going, this could go either way, God, but okay. I said, hey, have you ever thought about coming back to church? It was kind of like, whoa, whoa, hang on, man. hang on, mate, we're having a coffee here, but just chill out. I'm thinking, nah, I'm going to keep poking, because I, I know that his only hope is going to come in Jesus. And sometimes we've got to, we've got to make the ask. We've got to ask the question, you know what, what do you believe about God? You know, why don't you come to church? You've got to come and check it out. Why don't you trust what Jesus has done for you? Maybe you've got a friend that you've, you've walked that, that fine line and sort of said, oh, I don't want to step over his toes. And, and then I, th- I think we've got to be guided by God. We don't want to just put it out there just so we can say, I did it, I asked him. Let's have love for the people around us and, and, and make the ask when God prompts us to. To ask that hard question is, you know, you know what, do you know what's going to happen when you die? I want to encourage you, make the ask when God prompts you. Anyway, Luke starts his letter, and then we're just going to look at the finish of his first letter in the book of Luke. He says in chapter 24, verse 47, he says, There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of these things. And now, uh, so he's quoting Jesus here, sorry. Uh, And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. Then Jesus led them to Bethany and lifting up his hands to heaven, he blessed them. While he he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. So they worshipped him. And they returned to Jerusalem filled with great joy. And they spent all of their time in the temple praising God. So that's where Luke finishes his first letter. I think we need to understand just briefly that context as we jump in and read the first part of his second letter. Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. He says, In my first book I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instruction through the Holy Spirit. I think it's kind of like, Theophilus, I wrote that letter and it was true. I was telling you about what was what, was, what had happened. But Theophilus, there's so much more that I didn't tell you. I, I had to write to you again, Theophilus, because there's so much happened. And, and, and I'm still so sure about what happened back then. But Theophilus, you've got to understand what God is doing since then. And sorry, he continues. Verse 3. During the 40 years after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time. And he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Now, the book of Acts, as we said, was written in about 63 AD. This is another 25 years, maybe, after the ascension of Christ. And oh, 30 years. And he's saying to Theophilus, you know what? My opinion hasn't changed. I haven't grown suspicious. I haven't got doubts now that I didn't have back then. Uh, this is a true and accurate record of what Jesus did. I haven't changed my mind. He goes on and he says, Once 
when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Jesus commands the disciples, do not leave Jerusalem until you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But the disciples hear that and they're going, what does that mean, Jesus? They have no idea what that looks like. They have no clue what Jesus is meaning when he says that. They say, okay, okay, Jesus, yep, yep. So, and is this the time that you're going to restore Israel and, and, and bring your kingdom? Is this the time you're going to free Israel? Is this the time, has the time finally come, Jesus, when you're going to restore Israel like we've always been waiting for you to do? Because they don't understand what he's talking about. Throughout the Old Testament, God spoke to his people about a, a coming time when he was going to, a Messiah would come and he would rescue them and he would establish God's kingdom on the earth, a kingdom that would never end. In Daniel chapter 2, it talks about the kingdom that will never end. In Zechariah, it talks about the king over all the earth that will never be dethroned. And the people of Israel had been looking forward with longing to the day when, this, when the kingdom would come and they would be free to be his people. They'd been slaves in Egypt They've been slaves in Babylon. They've been captives of the Persian king. And now the Romans ruled over them and they're saying, God, please, when are we finally going to be free just to, to, to be your people, to, to let your kingdom come on this earth? But listen to how Jesus responds to their question. He says, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then he leaves them. It's almost like he brushes off their questions, like, you know what, guys? It's not up to you to know that. But I want to tell you, I'm going, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and it's going to be amazing. You're going to do things that you never thought you could do. You're going to be bold. You're going to be empowered. You're going to be my witnesses. It's like you're asking, am I going to set up the kingdom on the earth? Or you're going to go and preach the kingdom. You're saying, are we going to finally enter that place of rest? I'm going to say, no way. I'm going to fill you with power to go and be my witnesses. And the disciples are left there going, wow, and he's gone. And it's just like they're staring up going, what are you talking about, Jesus? And, and the angels appear and say, Guys, he's going to come back. Jesus is coming back. But go do what he said. Go do what he said. I wonder how we would have responded if he answered us like that. 
In fact, I think we probably already know how we'd respond. The disciples kept asking Jesus, when are you going to free us from this, from this suffering? When are you going to let us just relax and be your people, let your kingdom come? God, when can we just be your people and be free from all this stuff around us? I wonder how many of us have said, God, when are you going to free me from this suffering? God, when are you going to let your kingdom come in my life so I can just have joy and peace day by day and let all this stuff around me be gone? I wonder if many of us have prayed prayers like that, and I think God doesn't mind hearing those prayers, and we should pray those prayers, and God help us and give us strength. But Jesus replies saying, guys, that's not the important thing. The important thing is that I'm going to empower you. I'm going to energize you. I'm going to fill you with my spirit and you're going to be my witnesses and it's going to be amazing. It raises the critical question for the disciples and for us is are we focused on our pleasure or are we focused on our purpose? Are our prayers all about God, help me, give me, give me this, help me with this, or is it, God, help me be that? Lord, help me do what you've called me to do. Help me, God, to, to be your witness. Or is it about our pleasure, our comfort, our freedom, what we want? The disciples, and we so often seek God for our pleasure, but he has something so much greater for us. It reminds me of what Luke says to Theophilus in his first book in Luke chapter 9. He says, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must, this is Jesus speaking, so Luke quoting Jesus, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but are yourself lost or destroyed? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the Father and, his ho and the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God. Just yesterday, I was reading an article about um, the lead singer of a band called Linkin Park, and the guy just ended his life this week. I thought, wow. He's a guy who's, in so many people's eyes, been a successful person. He's, he's sold millions of albums. He's made his fortune, and... Done, he's probably been an idol to so many kids growing up and loved the, the band. But he's a guy who, who felt like his life was not worth living and took his life. We are sold a lie over and over and over again. The lie that have this, whatever it might be, and you'll be happy. Have that little bit more comfort, have that little bit more money, have that little bit more fame, have a little bit more whatever it might be, and you'll be happy. It's the lie that was spoken to Adam and Eve in the garden, have this and you'll be happy. It's the lie that's spoken to someone who says, you know what, your, your marriage isn't great right now, have, have, have that relationship and you'll be happy. It's the lie that's spoken to that person who's addicted to whatever it might be, and it's just, it's just a little bit more and you'll be happy. A little bit more this and you'll be happy. A little bit more of that and you'll be happy. 
If you start feeling in your, in your heart, it's like, oh, I just need a bit more of that and I'll be happy. Say, God, let me stand against that lie. Because my, my, my joy is found in you. My hope is found in you. My peace is found in you. And we can enjoy all kinds of things, but we're not going to find joy if we look to it in this world. What's this life really about? Throughout the Bible, God makes it so clear that we are made for a purpose. That if we live for the kingdom of God, you will find true joy. If you live, seek first the kingdom of God, He will add unto these, you all these things. There's a tension in the book of Acts, though. There's a tension of the book of Acts, and there's a, a, a tension for us today that God's kingdom has come, but it also is not yet. God's kingdom has come, but it's not reached its fulfillment for us in this life. The Bible says that through faith we're adopted as sons and daughters of the living God, like we talked about last week. We are His kids. He's the King. We're His kids. We're a part of His kingdom. The Bible says that we're citizens of heaven, that we're foreigners, we're aliens on this earth, that we don't belong here. We belong in heaven. We belong with Him. God gives us His peace. He gives us His comfort. He gives us His joy, His strength. But He also tells us that we will face trials in this life. God's kingdom has come, but we haven't yet entered into the fullness of all that He has for us. It has come, but we don't know the fullness of it yet. We'll know that in heaven. We'll know that in eternity. But it hasn't yet fully happened in our life. We're called to pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. He's called us to be ambassadors for his kingdom so that others too might enter it. God calls us to go out into the highways and the byways to call others to come into the feast. But first, there's work to be done. There's, there's a mission to, to live for. The question for us is, will we trust God with our life? Will we follow God's leading? Will we follow his call even when it hurts? Even when it's hard, even when God says, don't worry about your comfort, come be my witness. Even when he says, take up your cross, come follow me, just don't worry about your freedom right now. Will we still trust him? Will we still follow him? Or do we try and live for our own pleasure and try and cling to those things that will really bring destruction in our life? You know, even in the secular world, people recognize that that give is, is, is a joy in giving. People recognize in a, in a secular sense that in, in serving others, we can find fulfillment. But I believe the greatest satisfaction, the greatest pleasure we can know is to know that we are living the life that God has called us to live, that we are following His lead and that we're being obedient to His call. It can be hard, it might be challenging, but the greatest satisfaction you'll find in this life is to say, Lord, use me for your glory. Lead me, God, I'm following you. I want to be like Stephen and not like Saul. Even though Stephen was, was arrested, and this isn't saying I want to be arrested and stoned to death, but Stephen is arrested, and as they're stoning him to death, he is radiant with the joy of the Lord. No matter what's happening around him, he's, he's filled with a peace and he has a joy in God that just does not cease, even when they're hurling rocks at him. I don't want to be like Saul who, who, who just wanted to do things and, and see things happen and couldn't wait for God to act, so just stepped out and did the things that he thinks should have happened and then lost the anointing of God because he didn't trust God. 
I want to be like Deborah and not like King Darius. Deborah, the one that was a woman and shouldn't have led God's people in so many's eyes. She was a woman and, and, and it wasn't right for her to lead. But I want to be like her and even though I, I might have this and this and this and this that says, no, you shouldn't lead because you're like that or you're like that, I want to be faithful to God's call and just step up when God calls me. I don't, mean, I don't want to be like King Darius who says, I'm amazing and, and, and I just look for my own comfort and pleasure from people to praise me. I know most of us aren't kings, most of us aren't rulers. In fact, I don't think anyone who's a king, unless you're a king of a country I don't know of, or some secret prince or princess here today that we don't know anything about. You can tell me later afterwards if you are. That'd be really cool to know. It's like, wow. Anyway. And you might think, well, what can I do? What can I do for God's kingdom? I, I, I do this. I, I live here. I live in Colac. It's a great place. It has the Otways and it's good. And we have the Alvi and the, the, the volcanic areas. It's a lovely place to live. But what can I do? I go to work. I come home. I spend time with my family. I go to work. I come home. I spend time with my family. What can I do, Andrew? What can I do, God? The truth of this series, the exciting thing about the book of Acts is that God is teaching us that we don't have to be great to make a great impact for God. We don't have to be anything special. You don't have to be anyone significant to make an impact for God. The message goes out that following 200 years, and God uses fishermen, He uses people that run the family business, He uses the educated, the uneducated, Gentile, slave, Jew, Greek, Roman, He uses everybody that makes themselves available to His Spirit's leading. God doesn't use one or two extraordinary people to change the world. Sure, there was extraordinary people like Paul and and Peter and, and James and ones that God used, but you know what? Within about 40 years, they were all dead. God used the ones, the twos, the tens, the hundreds. It was the church that believed in the gospel that trusted in the love of God and loved God and loved one another that God used to transform the world. It wasn't in extraordinary people, it was in people that trusted in the extraordinary God. It was through people like Lydia in the Bible who sold purple cloth. And if you look at the history of Lydia, it's not in the Bible, but if you look at who she was and where she went, everywhere she went selling her purple cloth, the gospel went. And the gospel went into Asia, and Asia was transformed, beginning with Lydia, who just sold her purple cloth and told people about the joy she'd found in Jesus. I think, wow, maybe you're a person who sells clothes at the shop, and you're going to sell clothes and tell people about Jesus. And a whole country was opened up to the gospel through that lady who was faithful just to share about what she'd found out about Jesus. I just want to read to you a couple more scriptures. One in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is what Paul writes to the people, people in Thessalonia. Verse 9. He says, We don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other. For God himself has taught you to love one another. Indeed, you, are already, you, you already show your love for all the believers throughout Macedonia. Even so, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you to love them even more. Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live and you will not need to depend on others. Live a quiet life, mind your own business, 
look after your family, your, do the things you need to do. People will respect your life. You'll be able to explain the hope you found in Christ and they'll go, you know what? I trust that you're telling me the truth because I've, I've seen your life. I see the way you live your life and I see your love for people. And you know what? If you believe it, I, I want to find out about this hope that you have. We don't have to be great at anything. But God has done something great within us. He's changed my stony heart of sin through the cross into a, a new and right heart before him. We are new creations in Christ because of the cross of Jesus Christ. He's done something great in us and he wants to do something great through your life. As you live a quiet life, minding your own business, working with your hands, doing the things that God has called you to do and just sharing the love of God with those that you meet. That's why I've called this series, looking at the book of Acts, Empowered for Mission. This book is all about how you have been empowered for the mission of Jesus Christ. That we haven't just been called to live for pleasure, to enjoy the kingdom here on earth, but to preach the kingdom and to be empowered for this mission. I just want to finish by reading two passages. And they're a little bit long, but it's just so good. Ephesians chapter 2. Have you got that one there for us, Laura? It says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. And sorry, if you can just keep clicking as I read. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and He loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For He raised us from the dead along with Christ, and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms. Because we are united with Christ Jesus. It says He raised us. He seated us. It's a reality right now. If you're a believer in Christ, you are seated with Him. You are, it, it is a reality now, even though the fullness of these things is still yet to come. In verse 7, it says, So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of His grace and kindness towards us, as shown in all He has done for us, who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by His grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. You know what? He doesn't say, you are God's masterpiece. He says, there's another translation that uses the word together. We are his masterpiece. A few weeks ago, we had Pastor John sharing about the puzzle and how when we are placed where God wants us to be, we make an amazing picture for God's glory. And God has called us together to be his masterpiece here in this city. 
together through our quiet, quiet lives, loving God, loving one another, sharing his love with others, that a picture might be painted that all the world could see and not deny of who God is and his love for the world. One last passage. Actually, I'll ask the band if they can come too. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. He says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honour at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your real life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshipping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behaviour, slander and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free, Christ is all that matters and He lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be, holy, to be the holy people He loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And he goes on and he says, Wives, husbands, children, slaves, fathers, live this way. Masters, live this way. And if you can just skip over to verse 2 of chapter 4. Four, four last verses. It says, Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us too that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I'm in, here in these chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. God doesn't want us to just sit around waiting for Jesus' second coming. God has called us for a purpose and in that purpose, we will find the greatest pleasure we can ever know in this life. 
to, be, to know God, to be used by God, to be filled with His Spirit and to be empowered by Him to tell people about who Jesus is. He wants you to be for His glory. He's empowering us to be for His glory. We're going to sing this song, Yours is the Kingdom, the Power and the Glory. Heaven and earth bow down in the wonder of your name. Heaven is open. Death is broken. This message is for everyone. And the shout of the earth will be your praise. I want to be a part of that shout for God's praise. Can we stand this morning? Let's be a part of that shout for God's praise because he's worthy of our praise. He has done it all. We don't have to be great because he is great. His love is great. His mercy is great. Let's stand and let's declare it. Let's sing it out about his greatness. And this morning, if you want to have someone pray with you and ask God's greatness to to impact your life in some way, we'd love to pray with you. For something you want us to pray for through the week, put on your care card as they're collected now. And let's live for God's glory. Let's live for the purpose he's created us for. And we'll find a joy and a peace and a life that he so desires for every one of us. Thanks, guys.